fun. The uh, the TikTok thing keeps going. Never stops. I know you made your predictions. You actually whispered into the mic. You said it's a wrap. Yeah. You said I it's. Uh, so. You said put a fork in it. Did I? Yeah. You said it's it's well done. <laughs> you may not have used those exact terms, but it is starting to seem that the writing is on the wall, as they say. We have a White House advisor, Navarro, accuses TikTok's American CEO of being a puppet for working at the Chinese app. <laughs> Does he have to say that? Jeez, man. This guy got a job offer, a few bucks. Maybe he doesn't even know what's going on. No. Uh, well, I guess that's what a puppet is, really. But Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a rough it's some rough terminology. White House trade advisor Peter Navarro dubbed TikTok's new CEO Kevin Mayer an American puppet. Uh, ByteDance hired the former Disney executive earlier this year. They are increasing the uh, the intensity around investigating the app, what the app is doing with people's data, all the various connections and permissions and things going on within your smartphone when you're utilizing this app or when you have it installed. I saw a post on Twitter which originated on Reddit where an individual claimed to have reverse engineered the app in order to take a look at the number of incoming connections, the places, the, the types of permissions that were going on. It was a nasty looking thread. And I can't speak to it directly. This is not my uh, area of expertise. Uh, app security analysis. But maybe you want to give it a look. See if you can see if you can find this. I'm gonna put Willie Do on a spot right now. Reddit thread about TikTok security loopholes. Something reverse. Oh, there we go. Major TikTok security flaws found. Maybe this is where it originated. Somewhere here. Oh, this was six months ago. This is definitely not it. It's more recent than that. But anyways, the point being, whether Will finds it while we're talking about this or not, the point being, this uh, this same user who has an, some sort of an expertise in this security analysis kind of put it side by side against apps like even Twitter and Facebook, which the argument has been, well, every all these apps are taking information from you, uh, harvesting information from you. This one appeared to be a little bit more nefarious based on this guy's analysis. And this must be some of the stuff that, the, that they're looking at inside of the White House in, with, with the various Navarros and Pompeos and Trumps. Mm. They probably have these types of reports staring back at them. Is some of it political? Yeah, of course. Uh, a, ch a big chunk of it. In fact, Trump said so himself, trying to take a shot at China for a variety of reasons, leverage and so on. But now it's it's kind of hitting just into on into the consumer side where just the average TikTok user is starting to see some of these headlines and maybe doesn't even need to wait for a ban where they start to feel man, should I be using this app right now? We also have the app being banned Inside of Amazon, they said all Amazon employees must get rid of it. Wells Fargo, financial institution, same thing, government agencies. And even prior to that, this went kind of under the rug, but the American military was one of the first places they said uninstall this application. Yeah. Didn't uh, Amazon reverse it, though? I don't know. I didn't read that. <laughs> yeah, I think they did reverse it. I think um, that they kind of claim it as a mistake. Yeah. Ooh. What let, the, me, let me just look it up. The request to yeah. delete it? All right. Well, in the meantime here, uh, the Trump administration maintains that TikTok and other Chinese apps gather lots of data from American users, send it back to China. What the American people have to understand, this is a quote from Navarro, what the American people have to understand is that all the data that goes into those mobile apps that can that kids have so much fun with and seem so convenient, it goes right to servers in China, right to the Chinese military, the Chinese Communist Party, and the agencies that want to steal our intellectual property. That's Nav Navarro's words, not mine. He said that on the news actually really recently. Those apps can be used to steal personal and financial information for blackmail and extortion. They can be used to steal business, intellectual property, 
and proprietary secrets. He's trying to put it probably into terms that are going to strike the most fear into the average user. Uh, however, the, the data analysis side of it, if users that are listening to this show, watching this show, want to look into it, want to go track down some of these analysis that people have done, it does appear that there's just a lot... There's just a tremendous number of incoming connections for people who have been monitoring it. When you open this app, it's like the, 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 the number of exchanges that are taking place is far exceeds your typical app based right. on what I've found or what I'm seeing to this point. Maybe somebody can offer a counter argument there, but it does appear to me that this app is doing some strange things. Mm -hmm. And it's not just strictly the fact that it's headquartered in China that's causing some concern. Now, are people looking into this app maybe more closely than others? Sure, could be possible because of its origin. There was even talk potentially of the app getting purchased by an American company and just existing as some sort of American version. Right. But this Navarro guy, he also says, I don't know, no, not good enough. I don't care. It's still going to find its way back. Uh, to, to be clear, they're also targeting WeChat as well, which is, the, of, of course, this, this huge uh social media chat app really in china but it's even more than that i remember when we're in china you're paying for things on wechat it's your it's profile it's your bank it's oh, yeah. oh my it's goodness very connected my goodness gracious so they're targeting that one as well and of course this all comes uh after india completely banned it as well so i'm just saying a type of language getting thrown around right now it's like you said, Will, it's probably a wrap for TikTok regardless. And much like the story the way, that we covered on a previous episode of this, where we said, well, now the influencers are starting to look elsewhere. The users are starting to look elsewhere. This is all the stuff that starts to occur before the ban hammer comes down. And then it's just, it's, it's over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you start calling the CEO, you start calling him an American puppet and you're the White House advisor. Yeah. Well, they said, it might be tied to the elections coming up. They need to kind of make that stronghold China versus U.S. like a big thing. You know? Well, there's always a, poli a whole there's always a political, political component. Move. But if this thing goes global, yeah. right? It, you got to remember it was banned in India before it even came on the radar here, or you heard it being talked about. We, we got to wait and see what happens with Europe. But if Huawei's any indication of what happens here, mm -hmm. it just it doesn't matter where it starts. Everybody says, I don't want, I can't be on that team. I can't make that. Uh, I mean, some stuck around. I guess Germany stuck around with Huawei longer. The UK took a little longer. They still got some of the equipment in there. But it just becomes a harder justification when other nations are making moves like this. And they're saying, hey, our intel tells us this is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Whether there's a political component or not, it just puts another le level of scrutiny on the app that just wouldn't be there to the same degree if these things weren't taking place. Essentially, you're uh, forced to take a side. Yeah, you're forced to look at it, and yeah, you're forced to pick. Yeah. Because, uh, to, to be clear, now that the app has been accused of behaving a certain way mm -hmm. in other nations, if you let it live and then more stuff emerges, now you're the idiot. Mm -hmm. well, what did you, look what, look what happened over here. Yeah. You see, so now you're... You're governed by the whole bigger picture at that point. So anyways, the type of language getting thrown around, I think it's a matter of time. I'm going to go on the record with, with you like you did last episode and say the glory days are over for TikTok regardless. All this press, everything going on, even if it hangs around, even if it gets sold to an American company, it was on such a rocket ship that now there's this, there's this uh, obstacle that's been placed in there which I think is big enough to throw it off course regardless. Mm. Uh, Tesla, on the other hand, there appears to be no obstacles that can get in Tesla's way. They're soaring. Oh, my God. This is crazy. I mean, it's just been a weekend. It was just a weekend. I was just taking a weekend. I was just having a weekend, Will. And you come back and Tesla sure. jumps another 14% on speculation. Oh, it just took a, it just <laughs> well, took a quick so little, okay, people are starting it. to turn a little bit. I mean... Who even cares? Still fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen sixties. We'll see where it closes today, but it's still, it's just up and up and up, man. It was starting to look like a bubble, to be honest. I mean, I'm not gonna say that word, investors. That's a scary word, bubble. Yeah. Did he just say bubble? Don't don't say that. I take it back. Uh, but there's speculation that 
that Tesla's going to enter the S&P 500. And that apparently is fueling a lot of the activity around the stock. The stock. It is now the 10th biggest U.S. stock by market value. After Monday's open, Tesla's market value increased to $321 billion, according to FactSet. That makes it the 10th largest U.S. stock by market value. Uh, as soon as the company's valuation climbs even higher, speculation growing that the company will soon join the S&P 500. And th that actually triggers a number of things to take place if it does enter the S&P 500, which are going to be interesting to investors. There is there, there, there's some theory that part of this uh, quick, hot money, this hype that's going on right now is trying to get in. And then once it hits the S&P, then, then, then they sell at that high and just bounce. And bounce. However, that's not everyone. There are other people. Uh, he, he, here's a guy. Uh, let me just get this. Let me make sure to get this right. JMP Securities Joe Asha said in a recent note to clients that Tesla will earn $100 billion in annual revenue by 2025. Its latest full fiscal year, it was only around $24.6 billion in revenue. So he's saying it's going to grow. It's going to multiply even more. And so... There are people who are real within there. It's not just strictly hype. There are some people that say this co this company could be five, ten times big, bigger if you give it enough time. And who, who, I don't know, Will. Uh, on the flip side, people are saying, I'm out in the street. And yeah, I spot a lot of Teslas, but I spot a lot of other cars more than it. Yeah. So where's the real, where's the real business happening? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there is some hype in there. There's a lot of things in there. Maybe people are sitting at home a lot right now. <laughs> it's a fun, Tesla's a fun game to play. It doesn't really matter. There's your value. You want to buy some stock right now. That's what, that's the price. Well, isn't the future electric cars, you know, and having companies like Rivian and other electric car companies coming in, isn't that kind of like a jump for sure, Tesla as well? Sure, but typically, or at least historically, there has been a much closer relationships a much closer relationship between profitability and the, sh and the share price of a company. Mm. And Tesla actually hasn't been all that profitable, which is why some individuals have these massive short positions. But if people want to invest in a company, you can't stop. They can do it. And they can do it at any rate that the market sets. And so it's almost like investment during this... Uh, ongoing lockdown, there's kind of an entertainment element to it that's fun to participate in. And you can't tell people, it's like Bitcoin. You can't tell, what is what is Bitcoin worth? Well, it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Yes. W regardless of how functional it happens to be. And so for these people that Tesla just seems like a stock you should have if you're playing this game. Mm -hmm. And so demand, th th there's your demand. And it's an, it isn't ref, uh, a reflection of the current profitability or the current production numbers or the current market share in the street. Those things help, but it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. So yeah, it, are, are these people in it really long-term? Some of them. You even showed the stock price today and some are dipping. So some feel like it already got there. Can we see Amazon for today? Or do I have a story about Amazon? I don't. So can we do a quick Amazon reference? Amazon, a little heater, a little dip as well. So maybe the market is saying, hey, maybe we, uh, maybe we got a little too hot there for a second. Yeah, let's just chill on it. Anyway, I mean, this is complicated stuff. People have all, it's, it's a lot of speculation going on. But uh, for the time being, it's, you know, it's very hot. Let's just keep, let's put it out. It has to follow a lot more than it has so far in the last few hours for that to change. We'll keep an eye on it for you so you don't have to. We'll keep you, this is your business, business update yeah. featuring Willie Do. Uh, still within the business section, Apple supplier Foxconn plans to invest $1 billion in India. Sources, economic times. $1 billion is not nothing. Uh, it's, it's, there's, that's some money. And when you put it into a plant, you can do things with it, Will. You can increase okay. capacity. Right. You can put up another building. You can hire more people. Mm -hmm. And you know what all that uh, eventually results in? 
You can make some more phones. You see how that goes? No. So Foxconn, I, I mean, I feel like most people know this at this point, but Foxconn, it, they're making iPhones. If uh, They're the biggest producer. If you're an iPhone customer, you're a Foxconn customer. Yes. Apple has a relationship with Foxconn, Taiwan-based business. Increasingly, the report, Apple is looking to diversify where all those iPhones are getting made. And increasingly, India appears to be a, an important, a top option for where to do more of this assembly manufacturing. Foxconn plans to invest up to $1 billion to expand a factory in southern India where the Taiwanese contract manufacturer assembles iPhones, two sources said. The move, the scale of which has not been previously reported, is part of a quiet and gradual production shift by Apple away from China as it navigates disruptions from the trade war between Beijing and Washington and the virus crisis. This is the quote. There's a strong request from Apple to its clients to move part of the iPhone production out of China. Now, this is one of the sources with direct knowledge of the matter. That's how that source is labeled. Hmm. That'd be nice to be a source like that. Like a Ming-Chi? Well, but he's got a name. See, this is just a source with direct knowledge. That could be anyone. Could be Ming-Chi. <laughs> oh, it could be, but he didn't want to be labeled in this one. Yeah. Now, he would want to be labeled. He doesn't yeah, I guess If he had this he's... intel, he would want to be labeled. Very outspoken. Uh, Foxconn's planned investment in the Stripe. Sripper Mumber plant. Did I did I get that? I don't know. I tried. I mm. attempted the word. Good effort. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. That's one thing I can tell you. Yeah. On this show, I'm going to try. Where Apple's iPhone 10R is made, 50 kilometers west of Chennai, will, uh, will take place over the course of three years. So over the next three years, this billion bucks is going to go in there, and apparently it'll add 6,000 jobs. So if you're in this region, you want to uh, assemble some, you want to get a high tech type of position, well, 6,000 new jobs ain't nothing either. Mm -hmm. And what does this mean domestically? Well, for people in India, it means if you're going to buy an iPhone, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be made there mm -hmm. and be coming from there. And like we've spoke about previously, likely at some point, these may even get exported depending on which models are actually uh, being pumped out of these particular plants. So... I suppose this is good news for India, maybe not such good news for China. I don't know that there's much that can uh, be done about it. It does make sense to diversify your offerings. I mean, you're going to be happy to be able to manufacture something uh, in, in different places just to sort of hedge yourself against the geopolitical, various geopolitical scenarios that can take place. Mm. You want to you have some diversity there. So... Uh, it's important to note as well, just one more key thing on this. Apple only accounts for 1% of smartphone sales in India. So that's kind of an interesting an interesting number. P part of this may have to do with the fact that Apple's not happy about that market share, that percent, percent that 1%. It's not, not, a, not a big number. I mean, India's a big place. 1% of a big place, a big number could be, but you can't. They're, they may not be happy about it, and this move may help them right. attack that more head-on, avoid some of the taxation with the full-out imports, maybe bring their prices down, maybe produce the older gen, like I mentioned, the 10R was being manufactured. Who knows what the, the, the full strategy? We only get the limited insight, but it is a billion dollars, mm -hmm. just to be clear. And at this moment, I think uh, iPhones are really expensive there. Absolutely. Almost, well, iPhones are, are expensive everywhere. Last time. So part of the move towards assembly in India was to eliminate some of that extended cost. So where you might be referencing the price for the 11 or 11 Pro, right. those were never being assembled, to my knowledge, at least not in vast quantities in India. So they would still be due those extended fees on import because right. a percentage of the assembly wasn't done there. So those would still have that two, $2,000 sticker equivalent price. Maybe you can run a quick, a quick exchange rate on those numbers, but that's a lot of rupees mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but however, maybe if you look up the 10R, it might have a more favorable cost in India because of the fact that uh, at least a certain percentage of them are being assembled there. We'll see here. We get a 
that looks to be a healthier, we're talking about 49,000 rupees. Hmm. What does that equal in USD? Willie do with the quick maths. 663. Well, these are still premium prices in the Indian market. It's important mm -hmm. to know. Apple, who knows, Will? They may launch, I don't know. They could launch a spec exclusive to that market at some point. Yeah. And 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 I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. It's not impossible. Other manufacturers have put out entire sub-brands to serve the Indian market. Mm -hmm. Galaxy Note 20, Note 20 Ultra might just keep the disappointing Exynos 990. Can I just this Samsung thing with the Exynos chip, I mean, we're spoiled here because we never get it. We're yeah, spoiled. We, we we're Snapdragon yeah. spoiled. Uh, US, Canada, which gets mentioned more rarely as far as Snapdragon Samsung stuff is concerned. But Canada, US, South Korea, Snapdragon. And then other places in the world, they get this Exynos chip. Now, People have, have looked at this extensively, run the benchmarks. People have wanted me to talk about this. I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe I haven't. But you buy a Note 20, S20, depending on where you are in the world, you're getting a different device. And you're getting a different device on a pretty fundamental component, the, the, the processor. Hmm. Now, Samsung, of course, they want to push this Exynos stuff for, for good reason. It's uh, in-house. The Exynos team, they... Uh, would want to uh, test themselves against the m market leader, the flagship processor. There's competition there. Is this sort of healthy? Oh. But it does kind of suck for the consumer who may think they're getting one thing and then get something else. Hmm. And for all intents and purposes, the Snapdragon is the superior setup. Now, when we talked about this 865 Plus chip, this uh, powerhouse version of the 865 people started to speculate that hey that may actually end up in the note 20 ultra it would make sense it'd be a good fit powerhouse device powerhouse chip but then now there are new reports that at least in a large number of markets this thing may have the exynos 990 from the s20 lineup and if you're demanding the type of price tag we expect to see with this note 20 series i think it's kind of kind of sucks for that user to be on a chip that was on the S20. And even on the S20, it was the inferior chip mm -hmm. to the non-plus version of the Snapdragon. I know it's complicated to keep it all together, but I just feel like if you're spending $1,000 on Android, you want some Snapdragon stuff. Mm -hmm. At least I know I do. So this could be another market variant thing where we, who knows, maybe we could see the 865 plus in the United States, possibly in Canada. And then you and I, we're using the phone, we're loving life, we got the 10% performance improvement, and we go on, we make a video, this phone is great. And then some dude walks down the street in Germany, picks up the thing, he's got the Exynos. Lou, what's the matter with you? Yeah. He's run the benchmarks, whatever he's doing to figure out that... Uh, I guess you gotta put a disclaimer on them. His chip, and it just, but it just complicates matters because we're not used to it. It's such a core function that should you even advertise the thing as the same product? It's a bit confusing for the customer. Certainly the customer doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. And then once they find out, they're like, damn, man, I paid the same price. In fact, in some of these markets, you're paying even more. Right. Now, again, I understand from a strategic perspective, why you you might want to do something like this your profit margins on the exynos stuff probably better i just think it has to be communicated better maybe maybe people have to be more made more aware so they feel less uh offended when they come to find it find out what's being done maybe they have an option to pay a premium if they want to have the snapdragon version in that market i don't know how you do it and i'm sure there's plenty of reasons and licensing deals and blah 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 boring stuff as to why they choose to strategically do the thing the way they do but increasingly will as people become more tech savvy more tech sophisticated watch shows like this become guys like you that kind of thing might not be so acceptable mm. because now they're made more aware and it's not just that local telco commercial sitting there saying come buy the fancy new no and then they say what chips it got they say it like that they stop right in front of their tv what chip did you put in there, Samsung? Hmm. 
And that becomes a regular water cooler talk. There's no water coolers. People aren't at work right now, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Need that SD. And I know it's crazy, Will, because in some cases you're talking about 1% to 3% performance improvement. In some cases, uh, maybe that. 10 And I know it gets crazy, but it's a bragging rights thing, you know? Yeah. You got your pal on the... You're playing video games with your pal over in uh, Pennsylvania, and you're in Munich, and he said, I'm on his Snapdragon. What about you, tough guy? Uh, He's like, nah, I got the X and O's, man. I just got the X and O's. I know, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm just... Well, is there a reason why Exynos didn't upgrade? Yeah, they were supposed to. It was supposed to be an Exynos 992, which was supposed to bridge the performance gap to Qualcomm's chip. However, the rumor now that's circulating is not ready to go, and it thinks it's going to ship with the 990, the older chip. So they were trying to bridge the gap, but it turns out it's tough. Qualcomm is doing things. They do things. They continue to do things. Yeah, they're the market leaders. In fact, they also want to invest some cash into India, which I'll talk about on tomorrow's show. Okay. How about that? I never promote tomorrow's show. Yeah. I'm promoting tomorrow's show. Well, tune in. This is a real, this is a heck of an operation we're running here. <laughs> Google just put up a photo of the Pixel 4a on its store. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this got me the weirdest, most mysterious most mysterious, least mysterious launch ever. We know everything about the thing except when and where we can get the thing. Hmm. And it does not feel tactical. It feels accidental. feels like they're just stumbling into this launch. Uh, We've seen the render everywhere, so maybe they don't even care at this point. Part of me thinks Google is such a diversified company. They were running surveys on this product prior to having any kind of event. They were making fun of the leaks on the previous version. I think yes. they even used part of one of my leak videos. I, f- I feel like they sent an email. Can we use part of it? They're just cracking fun at it. Yeah. They are so diversified that even the launch of a phone is kind of just another thing they're doing hmm. in the scope of all the variety of things they're doing. So that's kind of fun, the fact that they don't take it too seriously. But it also just feels sloppy. In a way, yeah. If we're being honest. Yeah. There's, there are some people that must have been working on this thing that care about this thing, and now it's just stumbling out yeah. and flopping and flailing. They're like, hey, man, I worked hard on this. Can we have a <laughs> nice reveal? Yeah, this is like my little guy. This is like my little my little son. He does a you know a drawing, and if yeah. you walk past him when he's working, he's like, hey, man. Yeah, you got to wait. Not, uh, exactly. <laughs> he's like, I'm not finished this drawing yet, and I respect it. I say, you know what? You're going to have your moment. You have your reveal, but whoever... Uh, whoever's drawing the Pixel 4a is, they do not apparently uh, receive that same treatment. Mm. People have been peeking at this drawing like crazy. Um, Google seems to have mistakenly published an image of the Pixel 4a on its Canadian store. Shout out, Canada. The text says Nest Wi-Fi, but it's not a Nest Wi-Fi at all. The phone is already leaked extensively. (laughs) Maybe it's on purpose. Like, yeah, just... Throw it up there. But it looks exactly how we expect it to look. Uh, one cool thing here, it's in a matte black finish. So that will be interesting, whatever material that is. It's a budget phone, so you thought it was going to be plastic. Maybe it's not. Sure. Uh, matte black tends to, tech fans uh, are usually a fan of that. It looks like a nice, simple design. We, of course, also see here the rear-mounted fingerprint scanner and the rumored hole-punch camera up in the top corner. Will's going to say something. Hmm. Will's does, gonna this, say, uh, does this look like a headphone jack over here? That definitely this looks like a dip right here. Inspector Willie Do. Look at this. We're this having a little, moment. Uh, it's definitely a headphone jack. Oh, okay. Yeah, headphone jacks seem to be important at the at the value entry level prices. That seems to be where people really are looking for that headphone jack, which is bizarre because you're you would think it's the flagship that delivers everything, but the flagship expects you have the expensive wireless things. Right. And the entry point is like, yeah, okay, you still have plenty of conveniences, mm-hmm. including a headphone jack. It definitely looks like a headphone jack up there. Good eye. Good eye, Willie Dude. It's crazy sometimes the way you pull it off, <laughs> the way you scope that stuff out. What do you think of it? You know what, man? It, it's And I've been feeling this way increasingly in smartphones. It all comes down to the price, mm-hmm. right? We've, we spoke about this before. It's the, the, the price is the feature now. They're all they're so good. Smartphones are so good. Let's be honest. There's really little to complain about. Sure, you could be the bragging rights guy from the previous story with the Note 
and 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 just need to have that top spec because you're spending so much money. But truthfully, honestly, the value proposition is not at that series. It's somewhere over here. It's somewhere with what OnePlus is about to do with the Nord. It's in this. It's it's in this four, five, six hundred dollar range. And so when I look at this, I say to myself, it's going to be all right. The phone is going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. I can pretty much say it. I mean. Hopefully they fix the battery life thing. If the battery life is decent, then I'm certain the phone will be decent. The question being now, where does it fit price-wise? Are they going to be able to get below 300 or around 300? Mm -hmm. Because then it's a whole different conversation. I got to adjust everything to the price is now the killer feature, Mm -hmm. not any one killer feature because across the board, everything got so good. Yeah. So it's going to depend on price. But you know, I will just say this one more time. Pixel camera aesthetic, it's, it's, I've been on the OnePlus uh, 8 Pro here, and I still, I miss something. It's subjective, for the record. I'm not saying I, I haven't shot photos that I like on this thing, but oh, you take every so often that Pixel software, and I wish it was easier to just sideload the software, because it can improve almost any mm. Android phone. When you just pop open a Pixel phone, you snap something, it's hard to take a bad photo. Mm-hmm telling you software so that's something i'll be interested to find out uh when this phone finally actually launches instead of these weird wacky but this could be a good this could be good news the fact that it was on the google canada store it could be mean that the assets are in the system they're getting close to actually launching it right or not or they're just goofing on us still i don't know goofing oppo is going to be telling us and showing us 125 watt charging this week. 125 watt. Your laptop is currently charging at 87 or 85 watts. I don't remember that particular MacBook. 125 watt charging on your smartphone? Well, the times we live in, eh? It's going to completely charge your phone in 15 minutes. That means what? Fifty percent in five? This is this is insanity. Now, people are screaming. They're watching this show, saying the battery degradation. Five watts. Five watt for life. Hmm. Which would be a weird thing to shout at your computer, or your phone, or yeah, even in your car if you're listening to the audio only version mm-hmm. of this. People are gonna look at you sideways. I don't recommend it. No. Uh. Yes, of course. New technology, there's going to be drawbacks. It's never just all positive. There's got to be some kind of drawbacks here, but this is the type of stuff that pushes the technology forward. Maybe there is a uh, diminishing returns at a certain point, but you need this type of experimentation to get to a point where even the average person has 20 or 30 or 50 watts, mm-hmm. which may be the the practical application or implementation that a lot of brands end up going for. Oppo's 65-watt SuperVoop 2.0 is currently the fastest for the record. So this is a massive increase to go all the way up to 120, 125. Actually, Vivo is apparently going to announce 120, and then Oppo is going to have the 125. You see, they share the things. They uh, they get it all together like that. Uh, Oppo tested the 4,000 milliamp hour battery of the Renault Ace 2 which was the, that was the device that featured the 65 watt charge. And a lot of people said, your battery is going to be cooked, cooked dead. Put a fork in it, like you said earlier. Yeah. But they found that the battery capacity dropped only to 91% total after 800 cycles of charging. So actually not that bad. And of course, who knows how they achieve it? Is there cooling? Who, who, who knows what's actually going on here behind the scenes? Well, the engineer does. But uh, maybe you do well, but that's uh, slightly beyond the scope of uh, you know my my daily activities. Yeah, programming this type of thing. So who knows if they are able to apply some of those tactics to this even faster charging, then maybe we don't have the degradation that people are so concerned with. But also, I think important to note how long are people holding on to phones? I think it's really important to 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 consider that. Now I get it. People are saying. We're throwing this stuff out too easily. We had the environmental discussion with the with the power bricks. Yes. And people are saying, we're throwing these things out. We got to hang on to them. So then those people care. But who's being realistic here? How many cycles are you putting on your phone before you get another phone? That should 
be a key consideration when you're looking at these really fast charging phones, how much you're going to be impacted or affected by it. Because it's important to note, no matter which charger you've got, there will be some degradation over time. It's not like mm -hmm. just these ones right, are hitting right. the battery. The batteries, that's the way batteries operate. So anyway, this is going to be the fastest we've ever seen, the fastest on the market. 50% charge in five minutes, 100% charge in 15. Uh, actually, those are the numbers for the 120 watt that Vivo's showing off. The 125 watt obviously will be even a little bit faster. It's a bananas, man. It's just sheesh. This is what you got to say, sheesh. It's going to be one minute. Yeah. Eventually, we're just going to do one minute. Uh -huh. And I'm over here in the fast wireless charging from OnePlus, and now I'm feeling jealous. Yeah. One minute. Imagine watching the graphic. Futuristic, mm -hmm. man. Very cool. Futuristic. PS5 pre-order pages launched on Amazon Australia, including hardware, accessories, and games. Believe it or not, this is not the first uh, page that launched for this thing. It showed up in Germany. I think we talked about it. Uh... I don't really know why these pages show up so early. You can't do anything with them. It just says currently unavailable. Does Amazon just want to remind you that this is going to be the place you're going to get it once you can? Yeah, maybe like a power move. Pretty much. I guess people are, oh, what if it's a search play too where they get the first mover status? You, oh, you right, go yeah. Google the thing and then Amazon comes to the top because no one else got the listing for it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they uh, we've got listings here on... Amazon Australia for the console, the digital edition, the DualSense controller, the DualSense charging station, the media remote camera, and Pulse 3D headset, and listings for a number of games, including NBA 2K21, Miles Morales. Actually, if you click on the Miles Morales link, oh, they don't even show you the box art because the box art that they showed for the Miles Morales game is has been actually our first glimpse into what PlayStation 5 box art will look like because it has some changes. So maybe, Will, you can give us a quick... Oh, you're going to show us a video there. Is oh, that... yeah. I think this was uh, just a trailer for it. Okay. Oh, they got the Miles Morales trailer. It's a little bit... Ooh, all right. Cars, smashing, superheroes, Miles Morales. Saving the day. Very cool. Yeah, so if you if you just do a quick Google on PlayStation 5 box artwork, you'll see that uh, you'll see the aesthetic for all the upcoming games. You know how they're they're uniform, right? Like they will all follow a certain design scheme. Mm. And you can tell me what you think since you're a big design guy. That's the uh, that's the box right there. Mm. Oh, you're not happy. <laughs> wow. You got the white I mean, on the top, PS5. Yeah, I mean, it's the fine. The blue, the blue case. Wow, Will's It's not. fine. Jeez, man, tough to please. Am I uh, supposed to have some sort of emotion to it? Yeah, you are. Okay. You're supposed to love it, all right? As far as, uh, so read, go read the comments underneath. People are really into this stuff. Uh, I was are surprised. They? Yeah, scroll down a little bit more. Look at this. I like it, all caps. Sony is sneaky, sneaky, letting everyone know what the PS5's color design would be for the P with the PSVR. Gorgeous cover. PlayStation is synonymous with blue, and the black and white PS5 matches the console. <laughs> I don't know, man. They got fans. What can I say? People are enthusiastic. So it's important to note that these pages, they don't do very much for us. If I click on the link to the Amazon Australia pre-order page, it just says currently unavailable. It shows me the console. Actually, pretty nice picture of the console here. But I can't do anything. I guess I can add it to my wish list. I can prepare myself for it if I'm a super fan living in Australia. Uh, but it just it, it was curious to me as to tr just trying to analyze why it is that these pages get such a head start. But I think we've probably just covered it. That there's some sort of search advantage and also enthusiasm advantage to just say, hey, we're a part of the conversation. Remember us. Amazon is going to be the place you're going to order this thing as soon as it goes live. Yeah. Also, you could look at this and speculate that maybe we're going to get these pre-order pages sooner than later. Yeah, and still nothing on the price, I guess, right? Nothing on the price. Yeah. Uh, 450 to 550 is the current, look at that, that's the current speculation. So you're already out of the running because you guessed 600 bucks. Yeah. You're done. Apple CEO Tim Cook, uh, he's he, he made a few dollars. Well, did he? he? Yeah, he made a few bucks. I think selling uh, lemonade or something. Uh, I'm not really sure what he got up to. You're probably right. Lemonade, maybe apple juice. 
Apple juice. Apple juice, huh? That's rude that I even... <laughs> I apologize to everybody for even... He made $133 million last year. I think the only guy above that was Elon Musk, 595.3. These are complicated. It's complicated the way their salary... Like, for example, him, $3 million in salary, $7.7 million bonus, $122 million in stock awards, and then it also says $884 million in perks. What? Perks. Yeah, so vague. That's a lot of money. No, just perks. That's just lunch money, okay? Don't look into it. Just perks. So anyways, uh, the actual compensation doesn't take the perks into account. It's only those first three, by the looks of it, if you add them up. Salary, bonus, and stock awards. Uh, However, he's actually, he's got an expiring contract, believe it or not, even though... uh, He's doing obviously a great job. They're rewarding him quite quite well here. His contract expires after 2021. He's and a free agent. <laughs> that's what they said. They say free agent, which of course is kind of uh, bogus. Is that really the way it works? Can you imagine Tim Cook going to uh, work at Samsung? Like it just doesn't. Mm. It's not going to happen. Mm. So not really a free agent in that sense, but. Certainly, he'll be in a position to renegotiate right. his terms. And presumably, with things going well, although I guess this analysis probably shifts a little bit given what's been going on with COVID, like they're going to have to adjust certain expectations, but he can then go renegotiate and potentially get even more. Now, a lot of people at Apple actually made a lot of money, including Chief Financial Officer Luca Maestri. Maestri. million. Senior Vice President Kate Adams, 25.2 million. Deirdre O'Brien, 19.2. And actually, even Angela Earnhardt's, who left the company, 22.3 million, including a stock award. So Apple was just handing out, it's all going well. Mm. They just 20 million, 50 million, 100 million, 800 million in perks. It'd be nice to get some perks like that. But yeah, the, I mean, the stock price, Apple's stock price been pretty healthy. And that's, I guess, really what that's one of the things a CEO would care about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So $133 million. What's he, what does he do with all that? I wonder what type of life he lives. He seemed like a reserved guy. They don't, you don't ever really see much on his private life. You don't no. really see much what he's out there doing. It's not like a lot of other billionaires. You kind of feel like you got an idea of what's going on. Yeah, he's a he's a big college football guy. Okay. And um he likes Apple products. That's all I know. Okay. That's the extent. <laughs> that's the extent of uh, Tim Cook's uh, public life. Yeah. But anyway, he's got a lot. He can do whatever he wants. If he a few more years at 150 million and 800 million in perks, he can he can do whatever he wants, will. Mhm. Uh, one thing they're going to have to pay for is battery gate. Apple's going to have to pay for battery gate. Uh, after it's all said and done, we made a video on this. It seems like a billion years ago. Uh, this was the, the, so- the new Apple software that was installed on, when it was installed on older devices, prioritized battery life over performance. So it throttled performance in order for, for people to have slightly better battery life on degraded batteries. And, Really, just to be clear on this, there was no perfect scenario. The the these old batteries do need to be re- replaced in order for the device to operate in a uh, an effective way. And so you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. What really happened that screwed things up was that Apple wasn't very clear about right. what was going on. People had this speculation, conspiracy theories for years. Apple is slowing down my phone, so I upgrade to the next one. Mm-hmm. that's what people will end up saying because you don't give them the information. Now imagine on a software update, if it just said, you may notice a decreased performance on your smartphone if your battery is near the end of its life. And that comes alongside this software update and here's your choice to install it or not install it. But that's not what happened. So you had this uh, class action lawsuit in the US and a settlement has been reached. You will receive around $25 if you were a person affected by battery gate. Uh, the class includes any U.S. resident who owns or previously owned an iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, 6S Plus, 
and or iPhone SE that ran iOS 10.2.1 or later. It also includes iPhone 7, 7 Plus that ran iOS 11.2 and had experienced diminished performance on their devices as a result of that software installation. So uh, you can go check it out for yourselves. You can submit your claim if you're one of these people and you can actually get 25 bucks. It doesn't seem like a lot of money, but if you multi when you multiply that across the whole deal mm -hmm. of all the potential claims that can exist, it could be uh, a big number. Maybe maybe you'll even bite into Tim Cook's 133. Yeah, yeah, his perks. Uh, he, his perks will now only be uh, 700 million instead mm -hmm. of 882. No, they're not going to bite into that. They got even more money. They got, come on, Will. Yeah, they're printing money. Yeah, they got money. Uh, so anyways, they they the way these things typically work is that, you know, a bunch of people get together on this lawsuit and they they come to some sort of an agreement and then it's over after that and people can stop complaining. Mm. I think in the future Apple will be more open about that. And but it's still a curious discussion to this to this day. What is the right move? Do you do you slow down a phone so a person can actually use it for a reasonable amount of time on a terrible battery? Or do you just leave the, ter the terrible battery and have it run at full capacity? Because the full capacity was actually shutting those phones down. Mm -hmm. It's still not an easy thing. Probably the ideal scenario is just the battery replacement, making right. that more accessible and easy to do or, or inexpensive enough that people would actually do it, head mm -hmm. into the store. Well, you're not doing that right now, but you hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Coca-Cola reveals a touch-free freestyle machine as restaurants ditch soda fountains during the pandemic. Have you ever used one of those machines, Will? Where they mix the drinks together? Yeah, you can make whatever you want. You just tap the touch screen and mm -hmm. yeah. I've uh I was having actually just the sparkling Dasani on there. When I would go to uh I would go to Firehouse Subs mm -hmm. and they had one of those machines. I mean, I don't do this anymore, but when I when I was, I would get the sparkling Dasani and just put a little little bit of lime in it. Just like a shot? Yeah, just a little bit of lime in it. And that's what I was doing. It was kind of boring, but it was refreshing, which mm -hmm. is what I go for. But you can do a billion different combinations of things on these freestyle machines. Apparently, there's, I think it's 52,000 of these machines out there in uh, planet Earth right now, or in the U.S. So there's probably uh, even more than that. In, uh, across the globe, obviously, but 52,000 in the U.S. Now, because of what's going on, uh, pandemic and so on, people aren't going to the restaurants. And if they are going to the restaurants, everyone's being really careful about what they're touching and the whole thing. And your typical fountain machines are pretty much gone out the door. Right. So Coca-Cola uh, senses an opportunity here. They put a QR code where now all the touch interface happens on your phone instead of having to touch the machine. Mm. So you walk up to it, you scan your phone, and it's essentially the same interface. You don't need to install an app, which is cool, because they could have gathered a bunch right. of data on you and made it a nightmare. And they claim that this is uh, going to enhance people's experiences. They also claim that that this market, this uh, piece of the market has been hammered even worse than everywhere else. You know, I'm talking about the movie theaters and, and the restaurants. And so they're trying to, I guess, uh, just... Uh, enhance those experiences as people <laughs> to try to get people back into those experiences. I mean, I don't know the next time I'm going to be in front of a freestyle machine. It's probably going to be a while still for me. Right. But, but they're, they're working on it. You know, they're helping out. They're doing, they're, they're, they're doing something. Machines. They're doing something. Yeah. So anyways, the, that's a, a slight little upgrade. Granted, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much I care here. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to well, actually people want their drinks? No, but I'm starting to think, wouldn't it be better to just have an app? Why? I, well, I don't know. Imagine everybody scanning their QRs and screwing up, and they're all standing right in front of the machine. There's like a lineup. There's of, a lineup of people uh, messing around with the QR, and then the guy behind has to explain. Oh, you just scan the QR. Hurry up. Yeah. And then there's a sign beside saying, "Don't touch the freestyle machine." You must scan the Q. If it did just say download the Coca-Cola Freestyle app, I feel like that would, for more people, trigger exactly what to do. Mm. So now I'm questioning the QR thing. But I guess in different markets, people's comfort level with QRs are different. 
Yeah. I I guess they can't move this to the back where like the worker can actually just make the drink. Well, the freestyle machine that I was talking about at Firehouse Subs is is not even close. It, but it's also not near the workers at all. It's its own section. You go fill up your drinks. It's yeah. just for customers. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. They're doing something. They're going to test it out. I'm sure if it fails terribly, then they'll just go with an app or something like that. We'll mm -hmm. see what happens. But but I understand what they're saying, too, because do I need another app? Leave me alone. I'm here yeah, for five minutes. Okay, so I get you gotta that. You got to sign up, too. Ugh. Vintage Super Mario Bros. game sells for $114,000. You ever played this game? You ever heard of this game, Super Mario Bros.? Yeah. My yeah. childhood. 1985, really. that came out. Mm -hmm. And this one is sealed. And it's a record breaker for this particular auction house. It's the you know, most expensive cartridge they sold. It actually defeated a different Super Mario Bros. cartridge, which was like 100 grand. This one's 114,000. It's such a crazy market. This market, they they rate and rank the condition of the seal yeah. and the, the pigment on the ink. And if it's faded, and you see this one, like 9.4, A+. And there's different uh, groups and yeah. companies that that are able to set this standard and evaluate the condition of a cartridge. That whoever bought this for 114,000, they just they're just going to look at it. Well, it's just going to bring them tingly feelings when they look at it. Oh yeah, I which is kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, uh, I was I sent the thing to you, the Space Odyssey, the spacesuit. Apparently, going to go 300 grand on that other memorabilia auction. Oh yeah. <laughs> and a couple of other funny ones that uh, kit the car from Knight Rider. It's I mean it's obviously cool collectibles and they're more meaningful to some people than others. Other people look at this and say you paid one hundred fourteen thousand for what? Right. But if you're Tim Cook, you don't care. You put this on a shelf. Yeah. I mean, this would be the game, right? I think Tim to Cook's collect? actually from Texas. Maybe he's Is the he? one who bid on this. Oh. See, this was a Dallas auction house, but I mean, obviously Tim's busy at the yeah. futuristic Cupertino land. You can definitely afford this. Working at the first. spaceship. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he does with all his money. Collects old cartridges. <laughs> uh, so the other big game at this particular auction was a copy of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out from 1987, which was the, the boxing game. I don't know if you played that one. Mm -hmm. And that sold for 50400 That was likely another sealed copy as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, people are into all kinds of things, hmm. including... Old sealed cartridges that they'll never play, that they'll just stare at so they can tingle.